All right, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We covered the first 12 verses last Sunday night, and we're going to start in verse 13 tonight through the end of the chapter. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which are in Judea, are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have you, we would have come to you unto you again, or come to you even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or what is our joy, or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye, you Thessalonians, even ye, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For ye are our glory and joy. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we try to expose the truths that are in this passage of Scripture. Lord, that will help us to not only learn from history the sufferings and persecutions that these Thessalonians faced, but Lord, help us to see how they faced it, what benefits they had to enable them to face it. And Lord, we pray that we'd recognize that and incorporate those into our own lives so that we might have joy even in persecutions. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to title the message tonight, Divine Resources for Growing Christians. Divine Resources for Growing Christians. Now these Thessalonians were fairly new believers and they were growing in leaps and bounds. But you and I who have been saved many, many years even, we're still growing. Hopefully, there's still room, I should say, to grow. It doesn't mean we are growing, but we need to grow. And none of us have reached that pinnacle where we can stop growing spiritually. And so we can learn some things tonight from this passage in 1 Thessalonians. Ever hear of Polycarp? He was a second century believer, preacher, disciple of the Apostle John. I mean, he, he studied under the Apostle John who studied under Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty good credentials. Polycarp refused to renounce his Christian faith and to make offerings to the Roman gods. And so he was brought up on charges for it. He was arrested and brought to the stadium at Smyrna to be executed by burning at the stake. Early Christians paid a great price for the belief they had. 
Tradition holds that Polycarp remained calm as he was tied to the stake and the brush was piled around him and flames began to engulf him. It is said that he was calm and collected. He still refused to bow to the idols. He said, I've got peace and I'll go to my death with joy to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who saw him witnessing his execution said he seemed to be in no pain. Can you imagine standing on a brush pile and somebody throws a whole can of diesel on it and strikes a match to it and the flames are coming up? Would you be able to stand without showing any pain or grimace on your face? Or face? Polycarp did. <coughs> this man was one of many Christian martyrs. If you never read the book, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, boy, you ought to read it sometime. I mean, it, on the one hand, it's a little depressing to see how Christians died for their faith. And on the other hand, it's so encouraging that they faced it with courage and bravery and went willingly to their death for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a great book. And we'll read of such desirable resources that enabled Polycarp to be burned at the stake and lend his life in joy with the flames around him, we will see those same resources available in this passage that we've just read to those Thessalonian believers and to you and me. Those, I'm talking about divine resources. We're talking about things that will help us to stand when persecution comes because even though we may not face persecutions like they faced at Thessalonica, maybe it's not quite as rough, but there are Christians in other parts of the world today that still face those things. Somebody gets baptized publicly, in many places they kill them, drag them to death, burn them, stab them, kill their family, burn their house down. And that might not happen to us right here, but we can face some persecution, maybe to a lesser degree in comparison to what they faced. But when you face persecution, it's still tough. And we need the resources, and God has them for you and me. It was not easy to be a believer in Thessalonica. They faced persecution and suffering. In chapter 1 of our, of our book, First Thessalonians, in Chapter 1 and verse number 6, the word affliction shows up. It shows up again in chapter 3 and verse 3, affliction. It means pressure from the circumstances. Uh, you ever hear of one of those things of uh, maybe they would squeeze people to death in a vice, big vice in those days, or maybe they'd put them on a rack and stretch their arms in one direction and their legs in another direction, and boy, they got some pressure. Well, there was a pressure being applied to these Thessalonian believers and that's how we know that they were facing persecution because Paul addresses it that way. In chapter one or chapter 2, verse 14, the same word is used for our Lord's sufferings. He suffered and he was, as you well remember, he was, he was beaten with a cat of nine tails within an inch of his life. He was spit upon and slapped and mocked and beaten and a crown of thorns placed on his head, and then he was crucified. Those are sufferings. These people in Thessalonica were going through some similar sufferings. 
They were persecuted in 1 Thessalonians 2.15. Uh, persecuted means driven out and rejected. I mean, they would be uh, rejected of their own families. And then the word com- contrary shows up in 1 Thessalonians 2.15. Uh, contrary means kind of like the winds that are blowing uh, contrary to a sailboat. Uh, sailboat's trying to go one way and the wind's blowing them the other way. Contrary winds. My grandpa, my grandpa Brooks, Brooks, they called him Tom Sog. Tom Sog had a, he had a saying to us grandkids, uh, when we didn't cooperate real good, he'd say, now don't be contrary. <laughs> you know what that was? I was saying, don't be against what I'm trying to get you to do. And the winds driving us in the wrong direction. And then the word hindered shows up in chapter 2, 18. And the word hindered, where it talks about Paul, he said, I, would, I wanted to come to you again and, and visit with you folks because I love you so dearly. And he said, I would have come to you, but Satan hindered me. And hindered is like, um, like a roadblock or, or worse. We had a no-county road over our way a few years ago. And man, it had been asphalted but the asphalt fell, fell through because of the base under it was so soft and it had been wet and muddy. And there was and the big trucks, this is back when uh, the gas industry first came into our area and those big tanker trucks were going over these county roads and those, those things weighed thousands upon thousands of pounds and those dual wheels would smash that asphalt right into the mud. And there was places, no kidding, there were places in the road to be mounted up this high, big as a doghouse, all over. And you could, it got to the point, they had to close it down. You couldn't even drive between them and get down the road. You were hindered in a magnificent way. I mean, really hindered. And Paul's saying, I would have come to you, but Satan hindered me. And so what he's saying in this passage of Scripture is you people have been under, under persecution, and I wanted to come and comfort you in person, but even the, the devil's been hindering me from coming to see you. So persecution is evident here. And yet in the midst of all this suffering, the Thessalonian believers experienced joy. Huh? Yeah. They experienced joy. And you can. They did. He says in verse uh, 6 of the first chapter, he says, In much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now that's where it comes from. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And you can't muster that up in the flesh It comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit and walking with God. And when persecution comes in those times, you can actually have joy. Chad did a good job explaining that this morning in the auditorium class, the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness comes from happenstance or happenings. You know, circumstances around us can make us happy, and so we're up, but then those circumstances change and we're back down. But joy is an ongoing thing. When the Holy Spirit has you... Surrender to Him. That joy is ongoing and circumstances can change, but your joy continues. And that's what he's talking about here. Paul was burdened for the brethren. And in verses 19 and 20 in the text we read, uh, he also had joy. So the believers in Thessalonica had joy. Paul had joy. They were surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Uh, In John chapter 16, 13... Uh, 33, 16, 33. Uh, the Lord said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Remember that? You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have that roller coaster ride. There are going to be ups and downs. But he said, but be of good cheer. 
I have overcome the world. When He is in control of our lives, He can be in control of your joy. Well, this church was experiencing some growing pains. Now, I don't know how big they were, how many people they had, and big and small is relative terms. Uh, if we compared our church to a mega church, we'd say, boy, this is a really small church. If we compared this church to maybe some other country churches that maybe had half as many, we'd say, well, our church is bigger than I thought it was. And so I, I think, in my estimation, average church in America is around 50 to 100 people. Well, we're there. So we're, we're not below average. <laughs> so I'd rather have a C or C plus than a D or F, wouldn't you? I don't know how big this church was in Thessalonica, but they had growing pains. Whether it was growing pains because of new people coming into the church or whether it was growing pains just because they were new believers and they were under persecution. See, persecution helps you to grow. Persecution helps you grow. They had growing pains. and They had to know how to handle it. And it looks like they were doing a pretty good job of it. So there's divine resources in this passage. Let's see what, what happened, how they got it. Uh, first thing is God's word within us. How, what are these divine resources? The first one is God's word within us. God's word within us. Look at chapter 2, verse number 13. He said, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now notice a few things in that verse. He said, when you heard it, when you heard the word of God, you didn't take it just as, Hey, I'm passing along some wives' tale. I'm passing along some tradition. I'm passing along some uh, philosopher's tale. I'm not passing along just the word of man, but I'm passing to you the very inspired word of God. And Paul said, hey, you can choose to believe or disbelieve the philosophies of the world. That's your choice. But you have to believe the word of God. If you're going to have joy in the face of persecution when troubles come, if you don't believe the Word of God is actually breathed out of the heart of God and out of the mouth of God, you'll have trouble. You won't have peace. But this, friend, if, we don't have, if this is not the Word of God, we are in big trouble. I say this old Bible has got saints through those burning brush piles and torture on the rack for centuries, and it'll get you and me through the persecutions that come our way. He said, you didn't receive it as just being passed on some man's opinion. You received the the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God as though it were coming from God, because he said, in truth, it was coming from God. This is the Word of God. As long as the preacher says, thus saith the Lord, and he can show you, then believe it. If he says, now this is my opinion, you can take it or leave it. But this is the Word of God, And when it's thus saith the Lord, it's true. And it's a divine resource that can keep you from coming apart at the seams when persecution and troubles and trials come along. It's the word that they appreciated. Those Thessalonican believers appreciated the word because they believed it was the the word that was inspired by God. They appreciated it. revered the Word of God. Some people say, well, you know, I'm afraid you're going to worship the Bible. 
well, did you know that Jesus and the Word is inseparable, are inseparable? He is the Word of God. This is just the verbal expression of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Word. He is the Word incarnate. This is the Word that comes from Him. And you can't separate the two. If you worship the Lord Jesus, you believe His Word. And you revere His Word. I, I still... These, these Thessalonians believed and appreciated the book. And I do too. And it kind of bothers me when people take it lightly and just throw it up on the back dash of their car in the hot summertime and just let the sun cook the covers of it till it curls up like a potato chip. Or somebody just throws it on the floor. I don't... Now you'll think this is silly. But it's how I reverence the Word of God. I don't even take it to the bathroom with me. You say, wouldn't it be better to read it there than somewhere else? I'll just read it somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, take your Sears and Roebuck catalog. Well, they don't make those anymore. <laughs> you can take a magazine. Well, I know what you take nowadays. <laughs> you know what you take, don't you? It's about that big. And you take it to the bathroom with you. Wash that thing. It gets germs on it. Your phone. Nobody goes to the bathroom without their phone anymore. <laughs> One guy was in the, in the bathroom and he's talking to his wife on the phone and, and this other guy comes in and sits down in the stall beside of him and, and the guy on the phone is talking to his wife and he says, uh, <clears throat> he said, uh, how are you doing today? And the guy in the stall next door thought he was talking to him. He said, I'm doing okay. <laughs> and the guy on the phone said, uh, well, <clears throat> I was thinking about coming over. Is that okay? And the guy next door said, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> and the guy on the phone said to his wife, he said, honey, I'm going to have to hang up. This jerk in the next stall is answering every question I ask you. <laughs> so, you know, people take their phone to the bathroom, and, and, and I guess that's just an electronic device. But I seriously, myself, I would rather read the Word of God somewhere because I reverence it I'd rather read it in a place of respect. And I don't like to see it just thrown on the floor. Pages ripped out of it. Now, on this particular passage, this has been a really good Bible. This is one Marcus bought me, Brother Al. Marcus bought, brought me, bought me this Bible several years ago. And it's a really good Bible. I mean, it's durable. But I dropped it one day. And this one where I'm preaching right now, that one little section pulled out. And I, I hate that that's happened. I may send it off and get it rebound or something. Uh, I think all the other pages are tight, but it just happened to be there. But I hate to see people. I, when we were in Bible college, we had uh, a homilex teacher who was teaching us. Back then, we didn't have copy and paste phones, you know, or word processors. And so the way we did it back then in Bible college in the early 80s, you'd take an old an old Bible that, you just worn out and his pages are coming apart and take scissors and clip out the verses that you want to use in your sermon and you clip out the verse and, and take uh, scotch tape and tape that verse onto your note paper and that way you had your verse right in front of you instead of having to turn to it in your Bible and save you a little time. Uh, there, were, there were guys that were really offended by that because they thought we were destroying the Word of God. Now, I, I'm not going to say whether that's good or bad, but 
<clears throat> I'm glad we got copy and paste feature on our phones and iPads now. The Word of God was revered by these Thess- Thessalonians, and the way a Christian treats his Bible, I think, is indicative of his attitude towards the Lord Jesus because they are one and the same. The Bible is truth, it's light, it's bread, it's milk, it's meat. Those are all scriptural words for it. And man cannot live by bread alone, but by every mouth, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so these Thessalonians learned that early, how important the Word of God is. Do you read it every day? Do you revere it? Do you associate it with being near God when you're reading the Bible? Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job said, man, I can go without a meal, but I can't go without the Word of God. Another place, it compares it to money. And in Psalm 119, 14, uh, it's called all riches. Now, you can have a lot of silver, you can have a lot of gold, and you can have a lot of cash, and you can have stocks and bonds, but this is all riches. It's treasure. It's even better than sleep. In uh, Psalm 119, 148, it talks about meditating on the Word of God night and day, and, and the Bible even says that, that the reader who loves the Lord will stay awake to read it instead of just passing it off and going to sleep. These guys in Thessalonica appreciated the word. They appropriated the word. It says they, they received it in our text. He said, when you received it, you didn't just receive it as the word of man, but as the word of God. And then they put it to work. Uh, they made it part of their lives. Can I just ask you a question? Good, I'm going to. <clears throat> when you read the Bible... Do you often say, you know, that applies to me. I think I need to put that into work in my life. When you hear the Word of God taught in a Sunday school class or when you hear it preached from the pulpit, do you, do you listen saying, boy, this, this is the Word of God. This is important. And I think there's something here that's going to help me. The key word is help. When it helps you, you appropriate it into your life. And we all need help, do we not? We all need help. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 9, He said, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And He, he said it's important that you hear. It's important how you hear. It's important what you hear. And it's important how you hear. And everything points to the fact that when we receive the Word of God, it changes us. It changes us, man. When the Word of God is preached, it ought to be powerful. The Bible likens it to a hammer that smashes the rock. It breaks the rock in pieces. And if your heart is hard and the Word of God comes to you, man, it'll smash that old heart and and make it soft again. (laughs) It penetrates. It's like salt. It's a preservative. The Word of God. And these people appropriated it and they applied it in their lives. These are divine resources. Boy, when trials and persecution comes, when heartaches happen, battles that we talked about this morning, when battles show up, boy, your first line of defense better be God and His Word. Well, what's some other resources? Number two, 
not only the Word of God in us, but the, the people of God around us. The people of God around us. <clears throat> Let's read verse number 14 in our text again, please. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which are in Judea, are in Christ Jesus, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus Christ and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come to them in the uttermost. What is important when they went through these sufferings, these persecutions, it was important that they had brothers and sisters around them. This is where the importance, listen, this is where the importance of the local church comes in. The local church gives us a cloud of believers that surrounds us. And when you're hurting, you need somebody that can put an arm around you and say, I'm praying for you. And you might not have the magic words to say, but you can let them know you care, that you love them, and that you're on their side. And that's what we are as a local church. We're here for each other. And that's why it's important that we're all here. You ever notice on Sunday morning how the crowd is bigger than Sunday night? I think maybe it's a little indication that the Sunday night crowd says, well, I don't know about them, but I need these people around me. I need the Word of God in me. And that, dear friend, is why we need a local church. It's not a place to be entertained, although that's happening in a lot of places. Entertainment, hey, it's okay. I, I try every once in a while to tell a funny joke. I usually fail, but I try. And <clears throat> once in a while, I'll tell an interesting story. Not often, but once in a while you care about them. And while I'm telling the story or even telling the joke, I'm doing it for a reason. First, maybe to give you a chance to breathe a little if the preaching's been hard against sin and the preaching needs to be hard against sin. And in the middle of a sermon, a little humor lifts the heart, lets us take a deep breath, and then we can go at it again. Or a story like the one I told about the the man that was killed by the grizzly bear this morning. The story was not just to entertain you, but to give you an example of how one man's courage and and his determination would not let him give up. And that was the purpose of that story. Stories, I've known preachers that tell some really great stories. But they didn't seem to have anything to do with the scripture they were expounding. Or the scriptures they should have been expounding. In fact, I don't know a lot of preachers today that expound the scriptures, period. A lot of stories that are linked together. And man, they're entertaining, they're funny, they make you cry. And all of that would be good if it's in the context of scripture. But entertainment is not why we come. We come for the preaching of the Word of God and for the camaraderie of our fellowship because we need one another. Sometimes we think we're the only ones going through the fiery furnace. Others have been there too. And others are 
are in the furnace at the present time. I, I've talked to people in the past about problems that they had. As a pastor, I would talk to them and try to help them with their problems. And at the moment, my heart was breaking for my own problems. Well, this is what God's called me to do. They don't want to hear about my problems. I need to hear theirs and try to help them. And that's what we do as believers. We help one another. And we're not the only ones that go through trials and tribulations and heartaches. And But when we have, we can take the comfort that we got from God and we can pass it around to others who are going through a trial right now and help comfort them wherewith He comforted us. Right here, <clears throat> it says that these Jews, he's saying the Jews killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Uh, <clears throat> what Paul is saying, now Thessalonica was up in where modern day Turkey is right now. And they were, they were Gentiles mostly up there. And these Thess- Thessalonican believers were largely Gentiles. And so the scripture is teaching us here that down in Judea, Paul's likening the trials that they went through in Judea and how the Jews killed Jesus. Now, let me, and let me say something right here. Because of the anti-Semitism that exists today, the Jews didn't all kill Jesus. I mean, that's like saying, because you're alive today, you were one of those slaveholders who mistreated slaves back in the 1800s. You didn't have anything to do with that. And the Jews who are alive today didn't have anything to do with killing Jesus. Actually, some of the Jews did hate him and did kill him, but so did the Romans. They were guilty too. And I'll go a step beyond, and your sins and mine helped nail him to the cross. There is a, a, even in independent Baptist churches, there is a movement of anti-Semitism saying that the Jews are really all bad people. And they would just soon see them dead. And they deny the Holocaust and stuff like that. Look, there were some Jews that killed Jesus, but that doesn't mean the ones that's alive today were guilty. Now, just because they're not saved doesn't mean that we don't love them and we shouldn't appreciate them and try to get them saved. But they're still the people that God's going to bring back to him one day in the future. Are some of them wicked? Yeah, I've been in I've been in some of their major cities in Israel. They've got nightclubs, homosexual joints that Maybe even put some of ours in America to shame, if that's possible. There's some wicked people there, but there's wicked people in the United States as well. And we can't go around hating everybody that's not saved and hating everybody that does wickedness because that's the very ones Jesus came to die for, the sinners. And he's saying, you Thessalonians, you're suffering at the hands of the Gentiles up there while the Judeans down here are suffering at the hands of the Jews. Jews are persecuting them and the the Gentiles are persecuting you. It's not an ethnic thing. The Jews hated the prophets and persecuted the prophets all through their history, way before Jesus came. And so that's not anything new. And it's not anything new that you and I go through persecutions either. 
it's going to happen. Well, let me hasten on. Um, there's divine resources in this passage. And I said that we stand together as a local church. And I, I've said something like this before. I think I said something similar to it in the message this morning. A lonely saint is very vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. And so we need each other to help buffer against those attacks. Some people, some Christians today think, I don't need the church. I can worship God in the boat just the same as I can in the church house. Or I can worship God on the golf course on Sunday morning. I've never never been on the golf course on Sunday morning, I don't think. But I'd be surprised if I saw somebody kneeling at the first hole worshiping God and singing hymns, giving offerings. <laughs> I don't think that happens, do you? And I've never seen pay, pass an offering plate and sing hymns out on the lake either. I doubt that that happens. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying it probably doesn't happen. We need the local church. Lone Ranger Christians are the ones who get off by themselves and the lion seeking whom he may devour, gets them. We need the church. And then the third and last thing, among these divine resources in this passage is God's glory before us. God's glory, verses 17 through 20. Let's read it again. He said, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Paul's saying, I've got you in my heart, man. Believers there in Thessalonica, I love you guys. I have you in my prayers. I have you in my heart. I care for you. He said, and I endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. You remember Jesus the, at the Last Supper? He gathered the disciples together for the Lord's Supper that night. And he said, I have desired with great desire to eat this supper with you. Paul is saying something similar to that, similar to that right here. He said, I had a great desire to see your face and be able to commune with you in person. And in verse 18, he says, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. He said, it didn't just happen once, but time and again. He said, Satan hindered us. He hindered us. He threw up that old bad road out there, that county road where the semis run over and mounds up and holes and you couldn't, it wasn't passable. Paul said, I couldn't get to you. Satan put up a roadblock. Verse 19, he said, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Look where he's going here. He's going going straight for the rapture and the second coming. And he says, For what is our hope or our joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Where's Paul's joy coming from right there? He's Paul saying, look, you folks that I've won to the Lord, you're my joy. And one day because I've run my race, because I've run my race to the finish, I'll get a crown. It won't be, it won't be a diadem like the Lord Jesus wears, but I'll get one of those little wreaths like the Roman uh, sportsmen who encountered each other in a race. They would win a they would. When a Stephanos was the Greek word, a Stephanos, it was like a, you platted together some little grape leaves and, and grapevines and 
put it around. It was just a symbolic crown to show that you finished the race and you achieved something. Paul said, because you people come to the Lord through my preaching, he said, I'll, one day I'll wear that crown, that Stephanos, and this will be my crown of rejoicing. And this is a crown. There's several crowns in the Bible that the Bible talks about, <clears throat> but this is one of the crowns. And while it's, it is considered a crown, it's not like the one the Lord Jesus wears, but in Revelation it talks about the elders who took their crowns and cast them at the feet of Jesus. We will recognize that everything is because of Him. Any victories we won, any endurance that we had, any souls that we won, any success we had in the ministry at all, it'll all be because of Him. And because of Him, we win that crown. And when we see Him, tears will flow down our face. We'll take that crown and say, Thou art worthy, O Lord. And He will receive all the glory. But we will receive some rewards. At the judgment seat of Christ, listen, at the judgment seat of Christ, which I believe happens between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, the Bema seat, the judgment seat is for Christians. It's not to decide whether you're going to heaven or hell. It's for the Christian who's already saved and went up in the rapture. He'll be judged to see what rewards he received. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and It'll talk about those rewards. It says that there'll be some that are standing there that's going to receive some rewards. And they'll have some crowns. They'll have some trophies. They'll have some recognition. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, it says, And they shall shine as the brightness of the firmament forever and ever. They that turn many to righteousness. And if you've had, listen, if you've had a part in turning people to righteousness. You've had a part in winning people to Christ. You've had a part in bringing them to church. You've had a part in discipling them. You've had a part in encouraging them to live for the Lord. You've had a part in bringing them back to Christ after they were backslidden. If you've done that, there's a crown awaiting. Because he says it'll shine. You'll shine as the brightness of the firmament. You'll shine like the stars. You ever notice some stars are brighter than others? Those who have done more for the Lord are going to shine a little brighter in eternity. But it also says in 1 Corinthians, it says that some whose works were burned up, they were wood, hay, and stubble. Their works are burned up. They had nothing to show for their Christian life. Hey, he won't judge you for anything that happened before you got saved. That was judged on the cross of Calvary. It's been forgotten. It's been put behind his back. But everything you did from day one of being a Christian will be reviewed at the judgment seat of Christ. And what you did with your life for Christ will mean much on that day. Some people just wander through their Christian life. They don't care about going to church. They don't care about living for the Lord. They don't care about reading their Bible. They don't care to try to win somebody to Jesus Christ. They just wander along happy that they got some fire insurance. But they'll stand before the Lord at that judgment seat of Christ. And unlike Paul and those Thessalonian believers, they will stand empty-handed. Empty-handed and must I go? Wouldn't that be a shame that I was saved for 40 some odd years and died and went to heaven and stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I didn't do anything for you. Hope everything's okay. 
maybe, as John R. Rice said, I don't know if it's the way it's going to be or not, but he says, one day God will open the garage door of a warehouse where all of your rewards that you could have had will be stored. And you'll be standing there empty-handed with nothing because you didn't do anything to live for God. He'll say, see, son, what you could have had, that's what I had for you, all of that. But you're empty-handed because you didn't do anything. You don't have to work for your salvation, but you do have to work for rewards. You don't have to work to stay saved, but you do have to work to get a crown and a trophy. These Thessalonian believers were at Paul's crown. He could look and see the people that he had influenced with his life. And it's not just for preachers, not just for pastors, not just for those in a public ministry. Every Christian can do something to reach another for Christ. You can hand out gospel tracts. You can tell a family member how to be saved. You can knock on a neighbor's door and talk to them about the Lord. You can teach a Sunday school class. You can sing in the choir. You can sing a congregational. You can keep nursery. Do you know that maybe the nursery workers in our church might get bigger rewards than any of the rest of us? Plus battle pay? (laughs) There's going to be rewards one day at the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul said, you guys at Thessalonica, you're my crown. You're my joy. Whether we've accumulated a lot of money or not, if we have souls that we have brought to Christ, discipled for Christ, encouraged for Christ, we will have something to show at the judgment seat of Christ like the Thessalonian believers. I hope that you and I can say, Lord, I took that talent you gave me and I did what I thought was best to try to increase it for you. And I hope we can hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, help us to enjoy our fellowship together tonight. Help us to enjoy our fellowship together as a church. Help us, Lord, to enjoy serving you. Help us to serve you with a smile on our face and encouragement in our heart. Lord, help us to be willing to look outside of our own selves and our own problems and be able to look at others who might need our help and see if we can be an encouragement to them. Lord, I pray that you'd make us valuable assets as we accumulate the divine resources in Christ Jesus.